Hill. Am I on? Yes, I'm on. Hey, welcome. So glad to see you guys, Grace Hill Church. Um, Matheny family, thank you so much for recording that video for us and sending it in and doing our Advent reading for us this morning. It was so good to see your family. I miss all of you. I've been back there. Uh, you may have seen my face with Justin um, on the Zoom call uh, too. I see that so many of you have logged into Zoom and are trying that out this morning. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, you know, as we go through this pandemic, as we have to go through a winter where uh, our services are going to be streamed online, we have to be creative in how we will uh, connect with one another. And, and here's the reality. We need to connect with one another. I'm going to be straight with you right now. I'm an introvert. Okay. And so for me as an introvert, it's easy to be tempted to be like, Oh, Sunday morning, it's streamed online. I'm going to be in my pajamas and I'm going to uh, stream that on my phone and stay in bed. I don't have to talk to anyone. And there's a part of me that feels, Oh, that would be great. But I also know because God has told us that we need the body of Christ. Like my soul needs that. Your soul needs that. And so doing this via Zoom is uh, uh, just a small way. It's not ideal, but a small way we can worship together. We can be engaged. We can encourage each other. Um, and so I'm just glad you're on. If you're not on Zoom with us this morning and you'd like to start uh, worshiping with us via Zoom starting next week, go to gracehillchurch.com slash Zoom, and it'll give you all of the instructions on how you can jump on the Zoom call, get the right link and the passcode and all of that uh, for next week. We would love to have you join us. All right, now, before I jump in and get started with the sermon, one more thing. This Tuesday at 2 p.m., we're going to be doing our live Q&A again. So if you have any questions from this sermon at all, uh, you can go to slido.com, S-L-I-D-O.com, enter in code 917, and there you'll be able to enter any questions that you might have uh, from the sermon today, and we'd love to dive a little deeper uh, into that uh, together. All right? Hey, grab a Bible, uh, get it open to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, that's the Matheny's just read that for us. We're going to be digging into Genesis chapter 2 uh, together, and I'm excited to, uh, to study that with you uh, this morning. Now, uh, as many of you know, uh, my wife and I, Kim and I, we've spent a good portion of our marriage serving as foster care parents in Fairfax County. And for the most part, we have cared for newborns. And as we've gotten more experience with fostering newborns, uh, we've learned a lot about the trauma that can occur to a child when their relationship with their birth mother is not a safe and nurturing relationship. Um, for two of the children, newborns that we have fostered in our house, we actually brought them into our home when they were just about two or three days old. And it's it's easy to think and believe that because uh, Child Protective Services intervened, um, prevented this child from going home into a potentially unsafe environment, that this child, because they never got into that house, they just went straight from the hospital into foster care, that that child was spared from trauma that they could have experienced if they were placed in uh, the home of their parents. Um, but one of the things that you learn when you foster newborns is that trauma can occur to a child even in utero. If their birth mom is carrying that child in an unsafe, volatile, maybe even a dangerous environment 
for her that 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 has impact on the child because that child is so physically present and near to that mother while in utero. And so that experience in utero can have long-term impacts on a child. Now, obviously, a newborn child can't survive without any care from another person, right? I mean, someone else has to feed that child. Someone else has to make sure that child stays warm and is protected and has shelter, or the child will not survive. It is utterly dependent on a parent. But even more than just the most basic needs, a newborn child can't thrive without a parent providing gentle care, nurturing physical touch, affection, attention. The child just will not thrive without that, even while they're in the womb. That's how dependent we as human beings are on others from our very first days. A child must, must, must have a caring parent who is near to them at all times or they will not thrive. You know, today marks the first day of Advent, and uh, we as a church and uh, the church in general during Advent, what we do is we remember and we celebrate the first Advent, the first coming of Jesus that we obviously celebrate at Christmas time. And we remember and celebrate how Jesus, God himself, drew near to his people, his people who were suffering because they had been separated from their heavenly father. And so this year we're titling our Advent series with us because I want us to study in the scriptures from cover to cover the reality that we, as God's creation, as humanity, we cannot live, we cannot survive, and we especially cannot thrive without the nearness, and the nurturing of our God. In the same way that a newborn is utterly helpless and it will wither away without the nearness and nurturing of a parent, so we as God's creation need the nearness of God. We need God to be with us or we return to dust. This is a theme that we're actually going to be tracing throughout the whole Bible during the next several Sundays as we celebrate Advent. That when we are near to God, there is life and vitality. But when God is distant, when we are separated from God, we become parched, dry, thirsty. We return to dust. That's what Genesis 3 says. We came from dust, and apart from God, we will return to dust. And this is what Christmas is all about. God drew near to us so that we may live. And so this morning, I want us to study Genesis 2 that the Matheneys just read for us, and I want us to see how God created us, how he designed us, how he designed us to need to be near to him and that apart from him, we, we thirst, we, we wither away, we dry out. 
And my hope for our time together this morning is that maybe we could identify the ways in which we feel like we're dry, thirsty, cracked, and that our souls would be encouraged this morning and through our Advent season to draw nearer to Christ rather than keeping our distance. Genesis 2 that the Matheny's just read for us is a poetic account of God creating humanity and the rest of the world. And what I want us to do is I just want us to pluck out three truths from this chapter that teach us how we were designed to thrive when we are near to God. So from Genesis chapter 2, I have three reasons why God needs to be near to us, why we need God to be near to us. And as we walk through these three reasons, I want you to be encouraged this morning that this is what God wants for you. This is what he created you for. This is what God is working to bring about in your life. As you'll see in the scriptures through this entire Advent season, God's will for your life is not that you would dry up and that your soul would thirst for more and more, but, but quite the opposite, but that you would be full of life and vitality. That's the goal for our Advent season. So let's jump in. What's the first reason? The first reason that we need God to be with us is because he quenches our soul. I want us to look at Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 together. I'm going to throw it up big on the screen for you because I want us to read this scripture together. But look at what this says. We've, we've already read it, but look at verse 7. It says this, then the Lord God, and I want you to see this word, formed the man of dust. This is where we came from. He grabbed a clump of earth and he formed the man from the dust and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. I love this word formed right here. Uh, it, it, this, this Hebrew word carries an, an intentionality behind it. He was intentional. If you go to Psalm 139, we won't read it together, but in Psalm 139, it talks about how God specifically formed you. That this isn't just a general, he formed general humanity. No, he formed you in your mother's womb. What is the difference between humanity and a clump of dirt? It's that God formed you and he breathed life into you. He's the one who animated you, who took the cells of your body, took the matter of your body and, and, and made it alive. God is the one who gives us life. It is the breath of God that makes us who we are. In other words, apart from God, we are dirt. Think about that. Apart from God, we're dirt. We're earth. That's where we started, and apart from God, that's where we'll return. So just like a newborn feeds on its mother's breast and receives nutrients and vitality from that, we as humanity receive life and vitality from God. We will wither away apart from God. We were never created to be self-sufficient. Listen, self-sufficiency will return you to dust. Such a simple truth, but it has such massive implications 
If we read verses 8 to 14 here in Genesis 2, the, the text goes on to describe the lush creation and the paradise that God created. It's this image of creation that is full of life and vitality because the presence of God is near. And the massive implication for us as humanity and for all of creation is that it is God's presence that gives us life, that makes us flourish, that quenches our souls. Without God, we and all of creation, we dry out, we thirst, the life in us shrivels as we return to dust. Uh, in response to this passage, Genesis 2-7, um, John Calvin, a famous 16th century theologian, reformer, he said of this truth of Genesis 2-7, he said this, he said, he must be excessively stupid who does not hear in this verse, learn humility. We are nothing without God. Our souls will relentlessly thirst without God and to view ourselves as if our life is possible, even possible apart from God, is the utmost of ignorant arrogance. Uh, Isaiah chapter 29, verse 16, right? says, shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me, or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding, Right? How ridiculous is that? As Calvin says, to understand that we are formed by God and our life is literally the breath of God should humble us and draw us near to God. Because if this is true, then only God can quench our souls. And if we just evaluate our lives, and if we just observe the world that's all around us, I think we'll discover enough validating evidence that what the Bible says here is true. That apart from God, we thirst. We're unsatisfied. We, we don't experience the life that we all long for. We spend our lives chasing something that will quench our souls, right? Will money quench my soul? and prevent me from turning into dust? Well, if so, why is there never enough money? Will the praise of other people quench my soul? Will them approving of me, clapping for me, smiling at me, will that give me immortality, prevent me from returning to dust? Then why is there never enough praise? And why does the one criticism always get me down? Well, accomplishing something big and grandiose, starting that business, making it big, making a name for yourself, inventing that amazing product, will that satisfy the thirst in my soul? Well, why is there always bigger and better ideas? Well, dropping the weight and getting that body you want or meeting the right person or getting that job, breathe more life back into your restless soul. What is it for you? What does your soul want? What is it chasing after? Because although we're reading in Genesis 2 this morning, next week we're going to read from Genesis 3. And we're going to read about why God had to remove us from his presence. 
why it is that the soul of humanity has been left to roam around the earth, thirsty, looking for something that will breathe life into it, something that will quench our thirst. And the creation story teaches us that only God can do that by design. There's no work around on this. If we are to live and thrive, we must have God with us. You know, I have to confess to you, just personally, to my church family, you know, over these last several months during this pandemic, I have not cared for my own soul by drawing near to God every day. I have not availed my soul to to sitting underneath the word of God and receiving truth and to communing with God through prayer and to be in his presence and asking for his guidance as I go about my days. I've allowed days to go by where I don't feed my soul what it needs. I've allowed my soul to get thirsty because I have not drawn near to God. And I was writing this sermon this week. I was writing it down and the Holy Spirit was just bearing down saying, hey, Alan, like this sermon is for you. And through this Advent series, we're going to talk about how, even in the midst of our sin, even when we are running away from God, how God has actually drawn near to us that we might live, that our souls might be quenched and fulfilled. But for right now, what I want to do, I just want to press pause on this sermon. Uh, As we mentioned earlier this morning, we are, for the first time, excited about this, allowing people to participate and interact with one another uh, in our worship service through Zoom. So uh, what we're going to do right now is uh, we're going to have a time to just digest what we've heard already, okay? And so we're doing this because, hey, the reality is we're going to have a live stream uh, for our services through uh, the winter for the next few months. And uh, we don't believe that that means that we shouldn't be connecting and encouraging, and interacting and challenging each other. So if you're on Zoom, what we're going to do is we're going to put you in some breakout groups in just a second. And I'm going to give you 10 minutes to discuss one question. You don't have to discuss. If you're uncomfortable with that, that's fine. But 10 minutes in your breakout group to, to this question. Have you drawn near to God throughout these last few months? If so, how has God quenched your soul? And if not, what has your soul been thirsting for? That's the question. Just spend some time sharing on that. And if you're not on Zoom, you're joining us on Facebook or YouTube right now, I just encourage you, because you're going to have about 10 minutes too, to just reflect on that same question. Maybe if you're watching with some people, you could talk about it amongst yourself. You could grab a journal and journal about it, or just sit in silence and pray about it. We'll put the question on the screen for you. And then in about 10 minutes, we're going to come back and we'll continue our study of Genesis chapter 2. All right? So go for it right now, and we'll be back in 10 minutes. All right. Well, welcome back, everyone. I hope that the Zoom breakout was good for you to engage with one another. I even heard uh, some of our staff on Zoom calls throughout the offices here, praying with people, talking. And so, man, just really good to connect with one another. I know uh, maybe for some of you it was a little weird to stop in the middle of a sermon on Sunday morning and say, hey, share about how this is impacting you. 
but what a great way just to connect with each other, encourage each other, be there for one another. So thank you so much for participating in that. And uh, my prayer uh, is that none of us, a part of this church, feel uh, that we are alone uh, during this season, um, that you don't feel alone during this pandemic, and that you don't feel alone when it comes to the thirst of your soul. And my prayer is that as a church, we'll point each other to the only one who can quench our souls. All right, so I told you, Genesis 2, that I had three reasons why we need God to be near us, to be with us. And so the first was obviously because he quenches our soul. So my next two reasons are direct implications of the fact that it is God alone who quenches our soul. All right, so here's reason number two, that we need God to be with us. And that's because when he quenches our souls, he changes the why behind what we do. All right, God changes the why behind what we do. Why do we do what we do? Right, have you ever pondered that question? Why do we work? Why do we learn? Why do we commute around this crazy place, spend hours in the car doing all the things that we've got on our plate? Why are our calendars so full? Why do we busy ourselves? What is its purpose? I want you to look at a verse that we read in Genesis 2 together already. This is verse 15. I'm going to put it big on the screen again for you so we can see it together. Look what it says. It says, The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And I want you to focus on these two verbs here, work and to keep, because in this we get the purpose of work. Actually, if you go to the book of Numbers, all right, uh, there's a few different references here in Numbers, but if you go to the book of Numbers, the Bible uses these exact same verbs to describe the job description of the priest in the temple. All right, so the kind of work that God called Adam to do in the garden was fundamentally an act of worship to God. All right, it, it was a way of cultivating the creation uh, as an act of worship to God, just like the priests would do in the temple. All right, to work and keep the garden here in creation was not something that had to be done out of necessity. God caused everything to grow. It wasn't something that had to be done for survival because God provided everything that they needed, but it was a calling by God, and it was something that was done out of worship to God. This was an act of vocational worship, not an act of vocational drudgery or necessity. And here's why this is important for us to see this morning, because so much of our work today, the reason that many of us have a vocation is because we look to that work, we look to that vocation to quench our soul, to give us something to live for, to, to help us continue to survive, to climb our way to some sort of standard of living that we believe will be the thing that finally quenches our soul. See, in our fallen, dry, and thirsty world today, we work in order to be filled. And Genesis 3 is going to teach us, this is next week, that separation from God means that our work is now cursed in this way. And we're going to be thirsty, and we're going to be looking to the things like our jobs, 
to be the thing that fills us. But here in the garden, in paradise, in a place where God is near, in the place where our souls are full, we work not to be filled, but because we are filled. The reason why we do what we do in the garden is worship and service to God. We don't know what it's like in our lives today. Like We don't know what it's like to not be waiting for something, to not be working towards something, to not have something in the future that we think we're working towards. And and once we hit it, once it finally is delivered to us, then our souls are going to be filled. We don't know what it's like to not have to do that because we live in this broken world. Like, have you ever thought about that? How much of our lives do we spend waiting for and how much of our labor is spent hoping for something better, for something that will finally quench our souls? You know, I remember when I had to uh, wrestle with this in a specific way 12, 13 years ago now. Um, My dream when I was younger was to become a strength and conditioning coach for a collegiate or professional football team. That's what I wanted to do with my life. And that's what I was studying in school. And I actually had some great opportunities. I ended up coaching a little bit for the University of Maryland football team, even had an offer to begin to intern with the what is now called the Washington football team, the NFL team here in the area. And I was working hard uh, to do this. I was going to school. I was studying. I worked as a manager at a Starbucks early in the mornings to make some money. And then I commuted to College Park, worked till late at night. And it seemed as if, even though it was a hard road, that I was on track to realize my dream. That I would hit this dream at some point in the future, and that would be the moment where my soul was quenched. And so it was worth going through all the suffering here to get to there. But I hit a depression. I don't know what happened. Everything was great. Uh, everything was going my way, but something was wrong with me, my soul, my mind. I wasn't happy. I was dry, I was thirsty, and I was frustrated by that because I thought everything was working out the way it needed to work. And I remember God kind of just asking me quietly in my soul, Alan, like, why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah, it seems like everything is going well for you, but why do you think that this is going to quench your soul? Why do you think that once you reach your goal, it's going to be it? And that forced me to ask some major questions about God's will for my life and to ask if God had something different for me. And I was convinced that chasing this worldly dream would quench my soul, and I had to accept the fact that I was wrong. I was dead wrong. Are you in that place? Are you doing what you're doing because you think it will fill you? Are you unwilling to even question that? Are you willing to pray and ask God, God, what is your will for my life? Because God's desire for you is that you would do what you do from a place of fullness rather than in order to be filled. When God is near, the why behind what we do changes. And our labor, our daily activities are no longer defined 
by waiting and restless wondering, waiting for our souls to be filled. It's now defined by joyful service. So what are you waiting on? What are you working for that you believe will quench your soul? What is the why behind what you do? God changes the why behind our what. Now, number three, this is the last reason that I have from Genesis 2 of why we need God to be near to us. And that's because he allows us to draw near to one another. I want you to look at another text here. This is a bigger chunk of text. This is Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 18, then 21 to 23. I'm going to have this big on the screen for you again. Look at these verses. It says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. All right, so God again is going to do this work of forming a person. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now let's keep that scripture up on the screen here for just a little bit longer. I want you to see a few things in here. I want you to notice the intimacy here between God and man again. It is God who forms the woman in order to be with the man. It is God who gives her life. And God creates this woman, and I love what he says here in verse 18. He says, to be a helper fit for him. Now, let me say a few words about this, because what this does not communicate here in verse 18 is that because the woman is a helper to the man, that it's she's somehow subservient to the man. It actually is the opposite of that. It literally means here, helper, that she will be strong where he is weak, and he has weaknesses. She will be strong where he is weak. And so when Adam looks at her, this is what he says. This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman. What is Adam saying here? He sees this woman. He sees a companion. And he says, look, you are the same as me. We're the bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. We can share this life together. We can honor God together. We're the same. We can help each other. We can be strong where the other is weak. See, in paradise where God is near and where our souls are quenched, in the same way that we don't have to look to our work to quench our souls, listen, we also don't have to look to one another to quench our souls. How often do we look to other people to be the ones who will do that work in us, who will quench our souls? We look to others to fulfill us, to approve of us, to make us feel like we have value and worth. And the problem with looking to others to quench our souls is that they can't. They weren't the ones who breathed life into us. And when I place an expectation on someone to do something for my soul, which they fundamentally cannot do, what I'm doing is I'm actually pushing that person away from me than drawing them near. Look at Genesis 2.25, big on the screen one more time. It says this, 
says, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. I want you to understand what's going on here in Genesis 2.25. The man and his wife, they were naked and not ashamed. Now, this word naked here, it obviously means that they were unclothed, but there's more biblical meaning here. If you go to Genesis chapter 42, we read about the story of Joseph. And in this story, uh, if you remember, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, but he goes to Egypt. He ends up becoming the prime minister of Egypt. And later on, there's a big famine throughout all the land. And Joseph's brothers, they come to Egypt in order to get food. They did not realize that their brother Joseph had risen to such of a prominent political place in Egypt. And Joseph recognizes his brothers coming to him to request food. And in Genesis 42, what Joseph does is he accuses his brothers of traveling to Egypt and he says to spy out the nakedness of the land. He uses the same exact word there in Genesis 42 as we see here in Genesis 2. What he's doing is he's accusing them of coming to scout out where the land, Egypt, might be vulnerable, naked, to a military attack. This word naked means vulnerability. Defenses are down. You're exposed, susceptible to attack, not protected. And the text says here in Genesis 2.25 that Adam and Eve were in this state. Their souls were exposed to one another, and yet they weren't ashamed because their souls were quenched, full of life because God was near in the garden. And when we look to other people to quench our souls, we will always have our defenses up. We will be ashamed and it will break our relationships, right? Because ironically, we believe that we must not allow people to really know who we are. We need to cover up our true self so that they won't leave us so that they won't reject us, they won't be scared to draw close to us. And ironically, what we do is we push them away. I remember early on uh, in my marriage, um, my wife and I, we just kept fighting and bickering, fighting and bickering, fighting and bickering. And until finally one day, we had this heart-to-heart talk with one another where we spilled our souls out to one another. We actually, from a soul level, All right, we got naked for the first time. We confessed our fears. We confessed what we expected out of one another. We exposed our souls, those places of our soul that we were actually trying to protect ourselves from the other person. And so we were pushing each other away. And there was no way that our marriage would be able to come together. And we finally exposed it to one another. And it didn't heal everything overnight, but it started a trajectory of our marriage healing. When our souls are quenched in God, it allows his people to draw closer to one another, to share their stories, to be who they are, to reveal their struggles, and to not be ashamed. And to help each other, there's that word from verse 18, to help each other, right? Remember, to be strong where the other is weak, to help each other draw near to the only one who can quench our souls point each other to our God who gives us life. Who in your life do you expect to quench your soul? 
that very expectation is actually pushing them away. This is how God created us. He created us to live a life where our souls are quenched in God alone. And our work and our relationships, they're not strategies to quench our souls. We will not have our souls quenched in our work. Other people won't be able to do that for us. It's only the nearness of God. But we know the next chapter of the story. Something happens. We get separated from God. And our souls have become thirsty. It says, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 says, it says, we have forsaken God, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for ourselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. We look to other things now in this broken world to quench our souls. And the glory of Advent is that God did not leave us in that place. He didn't leave us with broken cisterns, but he drew near to us by sending his son, Jesus. And this is Jesus's invitation to you from John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. Jesus invites you now. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures say, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This week we begin Advent where we celebrate Jesus drawing near to us. And so let's draw near to him. Let me pray. God, this morning as we kick off Advent and as we studied your creation, I pray that you would help us to understand how you created us, that you created us to need to be near to you, When we are close to you, there is life. When we are far away from you, God, we return to dust. So God, show us where our souls are thirsty. Show us where we're looking to the things of the world and looking to our work and looking to our relationships to be the things to fill our soul. And God, convince us, show us, challenge us, God, that only you can fill our soul, that these things will not deliver, that when we look to these things, it's like we have a broken cistern. We try to fill it with water and it just drains out and it's a never-ending, exhausting, frustrating life. But Jesus, you are the fountain of living water and you have invited us to come and drink. So this Advent season, God, help us to understand Help us to draw near to Jesus, the fountain of living water. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Show us where we're looking to the things of the world and looking to our work and looking to our relationships to be the things to fill our soul. And God, convince us, show us, challenge us, God, that only you can fill our soul, that these things will not deliver, that when we look to these things, it's like we have a broken cistern. We try to fill it with water and it just drains out. And it's a never-ending, exhausting, frustrating life. But Jesus, you are the fountain of living water. And you have invited us to come and drink. So this Advent season, God, help us to understand. Help us to draw near to Jesus, the fountain of living water. We ask all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.